Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Hola, hola, mi gente. I'm Jessica Yanez, and this is the Wine and Chisme podcast, a podcast created to amplify voices and share the stories of people from BIPOC communities doing remarkable things. All while sipping on a glass of wine. So welcome to your new Wednesday. The Wine and Chisme Wednesday. Eva, I am super excited to talk to you because I've talked to a lot of people in regards to money and finance and everything like that. But I get to talk about something different still in kind of that realm, but we get to kind of change the subject in regards to money and building wealth and all of those achieving, quote unquote, the American dream. But before we get into all of that, before we get into the chisme, we always start with the wine, of course. And I know you said you were going to have wine on hand. So what wine are you drinking with me today? The my favorite wine, and I'm a, I'm a white wine, unfortunately. So cliche, right? I'm a girl, Latina. I'm gonna have white wine, and it's gonna be sweet. So I love my Rieslings, and there's a Chateau Saint Michel that I absolutely enjoy. And it's a little bit on the sweet side, not too sweet, but definitely not dry. So it's nice and crispy. Pears and a little bit of vanilla, but not too heavy on the sweet. So. Look, I always say, don't ever apologize for what you like because your taste buds are your taste buds. And when you're drinking wine, you need to enjoy it. So why would you drink something that you don't enjoy, right? I'm with you. I'm with you. It's like the color of your lipstick. You're going to put something on that you really, really like and you like looking at it, right? Yes, so exactly. if your taste buds are in agreement... Well, I am having a tinto, so but so my lipstick, my the color of my lips may change because because <laughs> <laughs> you know red wine, the red wine problems. I'm drinking a 2018 tinto from Cielo, New York, from uh, the brand Cielo NY, and it's actually a brand of this Latino-owned winery called RGNY in Long Island, New York. Long Island, New York. I know you don't think of. Apparently, upstate New York has a very vast wine area. Long Island is apparently very kind of up and coming. And there is one. This is the only Latino-owned winery on the East Coast that I have been able to find. So if anybody knows wow. of another one, please let me know so we can add it to our directory. But as of right now, this is the only one that I am aware of. And they actually originate from Rivero Gonzalez Winery in Mexico. Wow. Are they down in the Valle de Guadalupe region? No, they're more like more central, like more central north Mexico, I believe. I forget exactly what state and I, please, you guys don't come after me. But <laughs> I, you know, I work another job now. I just got a new job. So my mind is mushed by the time I get home. I can't, like, I can't, but sometimes I can't even believe the things I'm able to do, but let's get into it. Eva, salud. Salud, salud. There's my cheers. Oh, I haven't had a glass of this in a while. This is so good. This is actually just what I need. I didn't even realize how much I needed it until I took a drink and I'm like, oh, that's so good. Let me take it. And you know, this one, it's very, very forward, but I also smell like rocks, you know, like it has a very earthy, but it's so good. Hmm. Mm. And here's a tip for people who heard if people like are not attracted to the bitterness of red wine, if you decant the wine uh -huh. beforehand, 
let that oxygen get in, let it flow and everything. And that actually makes the wine taste a lot better. Like it smooths it out, that bitterness, you know, really softened. I usually decant my wine for the very least a half an hour. I had no idea that that would help with the aftertaste, you know, that leathery yeah. kick at the end. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah, and obviously it depends on the wine because obviously leather and, and, and like tobacco and those things can sometimes, but it's that bitter, yeah, those bitter notes uh-huh. definitely help soften it. So well, let me read Eva's bio. Eva Melgarejo, is that correct? That is correct. Okay. She is a Latina loan officer dedicated to helping the community achieve the American dream. Her passion is to educate families and help them build wealth for generations to come. She has helped over 200 families in the last four years, 98% of those being Latino. That is awesome, Eva. That's like so, so rad. And when you, like when I read, you know, your information and we had We were supposed to connect up months and months and months ago, but you know, life happens, things happen, Mm -hmm. but now we're getting to talk. And like I said, I've talked to recently, I talked to somebody about her journey in regards to, she like was born into a family of accountants. She was an accountant, but she still found herself not managing her money correctly and different things. So we got to talk about those, but then we never really talk about I think so many people, especially right now in this time, we don't necessarily talk about how can we live our dream when it comes to home ownership. Is home ownership worth it? How do we achieve those things when it feels just so far away? And who are the people we can turn to to help with that? So before we get into all of that, all of that, I would love to hear more about your background and because I know you're in Southern California as well. Did you grow up in, in LA? Like what kind of, how did you grow up and what was your background and how was your family dynamic? Let me just throw like five questions in there. (laughs) One, two, three, go. (laughs) Um, So this is my, my batch of, of honor, right? I'm originally from Tijuana. I'm Mexican, 100% Mexican. Um, we came over when I was 13. I'm the oldest of four sisters. So a very strong matriarchal family. My mom left my dad because of domestic abuse. And she's like, I would rather, now that you're at age of seeing what really happens in a relationship, I would rather go and struggle with the four of you as a single mom in the U.S., then have you grow up thinking that this is how life should be, right? So for my mom, it was a big, it was a big change, and that really marked, I guess, the beginning of what my own work ethic was going to become. So at the age of 13, with three younger siblings to help out with and with a single mom, I mean, working was something basic and needed. Um, I had a family that uh, found my mother's oldest aunt and her husband had a stand, a fruit and vegetable stand at the swap meet. So they hired the entire family to go and work that. And we were part of the family. So there we go. The four of us, my, my three sisters, myself and my mom, we were up at five in the morning getting dressed on Saturday and Sunday and back home at 6 p.m. And we learned how to sell. We learned how to interact with public and how to be of service, really. So fast forward, I had the opportunity to go to college here. And I went to Cal State LA, graduated with a BA. So I'm in communications. I'm the, the first of my entire family. And that includes my extended family, which are five siblings on my mother's side. So there's about 25 of us cousins. I'm the first one to graduate college. So working hard as a Latino and that entrepreneurship is something that was natural in my family, in my upbringing, and something that we needed to leverage just to continue to survive. Forget about getting ahead. You just needed to survive. So that gave me that foundation of anything that I did was going to be to help 
to improve. We struggle so much. I mean, coming from a mid-class family in, in Mexico, my dad used to work for the government. So we were, you know, we had everything that we needed. And we come to the U.S. to live in a maybe a 10 by 10 bedroom. I think it was more like an 8 by 8. I should go back to that place and measure it just so that I have the accurate measure. But I think it was more like an 8 by 8 bedroom that was given to us because we were all girls. And and figure it out. And that's all we had. And that was a change in a matter of three hours. We crossed the border and it took us three hours to get to L.A. to my aunt's house. And that's how quickly life changed. So then again, adapting to change is something that you didn't have an option. You had to adapt to change and you had to survive and thrive. Settling or the word no, it has never been in my vocabulary. I play around with that and I say, tell me no. Just tell me no so that I can prove you wrong. Right. <laughs> but I can I show feel like you that's yes. in a lot of our DNA. <laughs> <laughs> right. And not just as a Latina, but it, you know, it's it's so cool to have that in your blood to have grown up with that because it really puts you ahead of the game. It really makes you think outside the box. So once I graduated, I worked for the California Nurses Association, which is a union for nurses. And I fell in love with just being able to help women. Then I worked for the Museum of Latin American Art in educating the membership on what Latin America was, putting events together, pairing them to exhibitions, so a very different lifestyle, a very different demographic, but always looking forward to educating. I kind of want to go back to something at the very beginning that you were talking about in regards to your mom. Mm -hmm. Having the courage, because any time there's domestic violence, there is always a fear, right? The fear of the unknown, the fear of what's going to happen when I leave, the fear. But when you get beyond the fear and you're like, I want more for me and I want more for my family and my girl, you know, like... I just want to, first of all, say your mom is so brave for taking that step. I wanted to make sure I said that because there is not always easy to leave a situation like that, especially being Mexican and being in a situation like that. And to be able to have family, to be able to reflect to, I think is even a bigger, you know, like you're leaving everything that you know. Like you said, you're even 13, you're a teenager and you're leaving everything you know behind for, you might have family there, but truly it's the unknown, right? You don't know what's gonna happen. So I just, I wanted to make sure that I paused for a moment and said that. And I'm also the oldest of three girls, not four, but three. (laughs) And I definitely know like the whole just kind of in a habit to step up. And I realized, and I want to ask you this question because it's something that I've realized for myself. And I feel like other eldest siblings are, are realizing and having this like, that when things happen, when things happen in our life that we don't expect, you say you roll with the punches, you just kind of go with it. But do you feel like that's almost a trauma? Like I realized because I felt as the oldest, I wanted to protect my sisters from things. And they don't even like today, they're probably like, no, you didn't. You don't know what I did. I'm five and seven years older than my (laughs) sisters. Right. I'm like, you Uh have no idea. That's the whole point. And me just kind of going with the flow sometimes and just kind of, or just not letting people know me, know me. Right. A lot Mm. of people think they know me, but they don't really know me is like a trauma response because I've always had to put on a slight veneer to protect my sisters. Do you ever feel like you've done that? Especially like with how much things changed so quickly when you were 13? I feel that in life, it's almost like there's three of you, or or at least that's how I view it. There's, There's you that does everything that you think has to get done in that exact order to meet everyone's expectations and to protect. And then there's you who, because you're taking such a responsibility at such a young age, you lost your childhood. So there's that child, that that little girl that comes out and gets you in trouble all the time, right? Especially when 
Yes. Yes. That's why sometimes I feel like I'm like a kid still. Were you witness to some of this? Like, were you witness or was your mom able to protect you? And I mean, I feel like kids always know in some, in some way, but how do you think that that affected you or did your mom really try and protect you from that? She did. She did really try to protect me from that. There were a couple of instances that I saw, you know, on one instance, I saw my dad just completely drunk and pulling her and she's in her nightgown. And I'm telling you this, and I'm going back to being six years old. And I was so shocked because I've never witnessed an argument between them. So to all of a sudden see this person, both of them behave in such a way that was so unexpected in everything that came with those three minutes of me witnessing that Mm -hmm. and how deep it scars you because it's so against what you thought you were living. And then when you go up and you go to the therapist, and I've been in therapy for the last 13 years, I think, maybe 10 not just because of that, but because of many other things. But I learned through therapy that what I witnessed was not necessarily the worst, but it was the family dynamic that was so unhealthy and unable to recognize it at that time, that to me, that was the norm. So even though we separated from my dad, I still thought my dad was God until maybe three years ago. And I'm 41. But it takes all that time to, all the time and the work and the talking and the understanding and the looking at that other persona that you are, right? And be in touch with that little girl and be in touch with that other person that you have to, or you feel that you have to portray all the time, that that fake you, that you feel will always be well-received yeah. or better received than if you are your true self. And then there's a, the real you. Then yeah. there's the you that gets to talk on a podcast about what happened <laughs> 20, 30 years ago. And, and you can laugh at it now and you can, you can have a conversation and hopefully this is, hopefully this helps open up someone's mind that listens to this, but it takes a lot of work and it's work that we have to put in because protecting your sister was not your responsibility. It never was. And by having to protect them, you had to let go of you and your needs. So there's always a give and take. What did you have to give up to be able to protect them? And here's the worst part. They grow up and you grow up right next to them, and you are complete opposites, although you grew up in the same household. And then they look at you, and I remember one of my sisters said to me, oh, well, you just think you you have to go out there and rescue everyone and be perfect. And oh, my like, gosh. That, I've heard isn't, that. Isn't this when, when you're supposed to say thank you? Because I saved your butt a few times. Oh, my gosh. I've heard that. Oh, Miss Perfect. Oh, the princess. Like, my sisters have told me that before. And so I totally understand. I'm a master at deflection, right? I'm a master at deflection. And that's because I think you grow up, like, you know, helping everybody kind of deflect what's actually happening in some way. Of course. Did you think of this? And I don't know if this happened in your household, but I can tell you at least 10 people that have had this conversation and they said the same thing. I was raised with, you don't say something unless it's positive. So if you don't have anything good to say, then you don't say anything. Well, then what happens to your feelings? What happens to the times that you're upset? You have no right to be upset. You have no right to have a different opinion. You have no voice. You grow up with no voice. And and this is the, I don't know if it's a Latino household or if it's the, the influence of that machismo or if it's the influence of that domestic violence and oppression of, of women. I don't know what it is, but I can tell you that it is the worst thing that you can do. And I find myself, if I hear somebody complaining and they complain all the time, I find myself almost wanting to say that. Like, you don't have something good to say, just don't say it. Yeah, And it's the worst because then you realize we are our parents. Yeah. Oh, I get, I, why are you so sensitive? That's what I get. (laughs) 
why why are you so sensitive i'm like damn i can't have feelings jeez louise like hello no, no you're not supposed to have feelings you're supposed to fix everything do it quickly because that's what they're expecting mm-hmm. and do it with a smile on your face yeah Ay, ay, ay. Well, I like, thank you for sharing that because I think it's so true. I mean, how many people can completely relate to that in regards to being, whether it's being the oldest or being the deflector, being the protector, being like, can't have your, show your feelings. Wine break. Time to refill that glass and come back for more wine and cheese Skin Skincare should be Fun! And finding tu propio skin regimen that you can look forward to todos los días es posible at Ulta Beauty. I'm in my mid-40s and I've changed my skincare routine several times porque unfortunately, as we age, our skin just needs un poquito de amor más a diario. I make sure to visit Ulta Beauty for the latest skincare products that allow my skin to reach its full potencial. Ulta Beauty is the leader in skincare with a broad and inclusive assortment of skincare products where you too can take the journey para descubrir el potencial de tu piel. If you currently don't have a skincare routine, corre to your local Ulta Beauty and they will help you find los productos perfectos to meet your skin's needs and empezar a amar the skin you're in. ¿Qué esperas? Go ahead and head over to Ulta Beauty to shop for all your skincare needs. Going to work really early by the age of 13, obviously that instilled a work ethic very, very young, at a very, very young age. How do you think that translated as you were going like through school? And were you like, were you still helping doing like the things with your sisters, working, managing school? That's so, that seems like it's so much for a child, really. I'm sure you just did it at that time, right? But when you reflect back on that time, How do you think you were able to just manage to be able to do that? Do you even look back and think you had a childhood? No, no. The answer is I don't because I really do know how I did it. I can tell you that my mom was working and she worked in everything she possibly could to put food on the table. Um, She installed carpet. She delivered yellow pages back then. She worked at the swap meet on the weekend and at night at the swap meet, there used to be a couple of places that you can go and just set up your stand. And she would try to bring us with her wherever she could, because otherwise we were alone at the house. And I was essentially the mom. We would go dumpster diving in downtown LA, like dumpster diving. Do you know what it is to get to be 14, 15 in in the prime of your youth when you're supposed to be this princess and and conquering guys and what you're doing is jumping into a trash bin i remember this vividly this is this was in downtown la in um in a place that was cutting fabric for forever 21 because i remember seeing the labels i could never shop at any of those places i don't think i owned anything like in the garment district in the garment district i don't think i owned anything new until i was maybe 18 or 19 so you jump in the in the trash bin and you start pulling zippers and buttons and pieces of fabric that were big enough that somebody would buy them at the swap meet. And then you gather all of that and you put it in bags and then you go and sell it. So how did I do it? There was no choice. There wasn't the, somebody's going to come and rescue you or, oh, your dad's going to bring a paycheck or don't worry about the food. You know, somebody else is bringing the the. the bags of food for the week we didn't have that what we did have was each other and we had to get up and do this so how did I do it I don't know but I can tell you that it was the best thing that I could have been exposed to because because of that work ethic I was able to put myself through college paying my own way I didn't qualify for for any grants not because I was making money, but because I didn't have the proper documentation to apply for anything. So I had to pay out of pocket. I worked a full-time job and I went home and I would sew costumes. One of my aunts, my tia Eva, she taught me how to sew. She lived right next door to us. And I would make folklorico costumes for like 10 people. And that's what I would come home and do 
when I wasn't going to school, but I was going to school. My normal day was 7 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. at my regular job doing um, insurance claims. Then I would be at school by 4, 4.30 was my first class until either 8 or 10 p.m. And then you go home and you sew because I had costumes that I needed to turn in on the weekend so that I can make money so that I can pay for school, which wasn't a quarter system. Right. And it was $1,400 back then. But I didn't have the money to, yeah. or grants or, or, or God, forget about a loan, a student loan. It's just, if you wanted to go to school and you wanted to graduate, you needed to figure it out. So how did I do it? I just had to figure it out. You know, I'm a big boxing fan in and people are shocked when, when you say boxing because I'm 5'1", 125, maybe 130 now. <laughs> but, but I'm pretty small. And I lose my mind when I'm watching boxing. And it's that what you're watching on the ring is two people that don't know each other, facing complete uncertainty. And I can tell you within the first three seconds who's going to win. But I can tell you because I can see the confidence in their eyes and how they stand and and that is to me life. You're facing the unknown on a daily basis. You don't know how your day is going to end. You don't know what tomorrow brings, but you have to be ready to roll with those punches and give it everything that you have. Because if you're not, it's a disservice to you and a disservice to everyone behind you. Oh, wow. That was really powerful. I think that's that's so true. Every word that you said in regards to figuring it out. In fact, that's kind of what I say I do all the time, right? If I don't know how to do something, you just, I figure it out. Look it up. Like, (laughs) you know, you just have to sometimes. And I think that we often forget. And that's what the reason I ask some of these questions is because first of all, um, success comes with a story, right? You know, success comes with, you know, the journey, you know, the journey to success is a journey. We don't just drop out of the sky and we're like, oh, yay, great. Everything's perfect. And this is where I am. No, it comes with strife and it comes with struggle. And I think it's so important to remember those, right? That's so sometimes it's important for us to remember how far we've come and how truly amazing we are. Where did we start from? And now where are we? And I also think it's important for people to hear that struggle because it can be so helpful to them saying, you know, I think the biggest disservice sometimes when I listen to podcasts is when I don't want to hear your success. Like, I don't want to hear, oh yeah, this is, I'm a success and this is how I did. No, I want to hear like, tell me those days when you didn't want to get out of bed and how you managed to just get out. Like, tell me those days where you're just like, I don't know how I'm going to pay my rent. And this is what happened. Like, I think that's so much more relatable because, you know, to be perfectly honest, I had I've had those moments and I would never want anybody to think, oh, well, Jessica's just like she's just really sunny and bright. And this just that. Yeah. Like this is my personality. But I have gone through a lot of stuff and I think it's so important. And I haven't shared like barely any of it deflection right <laughs> hence having the podcast i don't need to talk about myself uh-huh, let's talk, talk about somebody else's yeah. struggles they, they have a great story to tell uh-huh. <laughs> exactly exactly so once you graduated you went from insurance you went to working with the nurses association you kind of like you know are getting all of these different skills from all of these different things that you do right from set because when you do communications you're selling a story right yes so in any way shape or form you people don't think it's sales but it's sales in a different way because you need to sell the story you need people to understand and buy in how did that affect your siblings in regards to all of the things that you were doing with did they look at it i mean not that you could know for sure but from your point of view Were they looking at it like now there's been a path that has been set and they wanted to follow that? Or were they just like, nah, she's perfect. She's the princess. I can't do that. (laughs) 
it's very interesting to in retrospect, was I doing that to set the example? I think I always had to set the example. And more than that, I wanted to provide and protect. I wanted to provide them with an easier life than what it was for me, although we lived under the same roof. And I wanted to protect them from the struggle that I had to face. And they didn't follow my steps at all. I ended up, and that's something that I was going to ask you because as the oldest, you take on so much responsibility that is really not yours, but you still take it on and you take on everything you possibly can and you're doing everything as best as you can and more. And you end up in a very lonely place because you give it 200% and you leave yourself on the side. I don't know if that happened to you, but I feel like as the oldest... It left me swimming on my own. I definitely, I almost feel like I'm sometimes like I'm the black sheep of the family because I've <laughs> kind of just, I've always kind of done my own. I've always been the most independent one. Mm-hmm. I've always been the one who tries to, you know, and I did not go to college right away. I did try attempt to go to college. And then to, if I'm being perfectly honest, I was going to community college and my parents checked bounce. Mm. So I had to drop out and work. And, um, I didn't graduate college until almost 20 years to the day that I graduated high school. So I graduated college at 37 and I had moved from my home in San Diego when I was 21. Well, I moved uh, from San Diego when I was 20. When I was 21, I was living in Orange County and I moved from Orange County, California to Dallas, Texas. Never visited, never knew one person um, and, and that really kind of changed my life. I lived there, moved back to California, lived in Arizona, then moved back to Texas <laughs> because I didn't want to rely on anybody else because I wanted to rely on my own. And I knew my parents weren't going to be there. And I knew that being in Texas, I had to do it by myself. I knew that it was going to be, and there was definitely times where it was lonely and there was mm-hmm. definitely times where I was crying, but I just always kind of felt different, right? And my middle sister didn't go to college. She got married very young and she's still married and has four boys. And then my youngest sister was actually the very first one to graduate college because she went directly. And by that point, like my parents were in a way different financial situation as well by the time she had graduated and could help her. So everything that I've, and I'm not going to ever say my parents didn't help me. They have. They've they've helped me in, in a lot of different ways. But when it comes to my education, when it comes to the things that I've done, like I've done it myself. Mm-hmm. And even now, like I still feel like I'm kind of just, I my family absolutely loves me. I absolutely love my family. I'm We're, we're very close, but I still kind of feel like the black sheep. <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a huge separation to to stand on your own two feet, especially because you are setting the example and you are leading the way. So you're opening up a, a whole new path to through life and being the pioneer of the legacy of your family is not an easy task and it is lonely. And I will never understand why my sisters as close as I feel we are. We're so different, just so different. And and they're fantastic in their own way. My sister, Carla, who's a year younger than me, she's a stay-at-home mom. I will die if I have to stay home with kids. I don't have any children. I'm 41. Like, no, that's definitely Oh, girl, you're my soul sister because I'm 44, (laughs) never been married, don't have any kids. My middle sister, the one who's right below me, she has four boys. Uh-huh. And then my youngest sister doesn't have any kids. She does not want kids. I think the youngest is still kind of, my youngest is still kind of in between. The other one is is definitely thinking of having children maybe in a couple of years. We're all in, my youngest sister is 30, let's see if I'm 41, she's 33 and the other one is 35 and the other one is 40. And again, we're, we are oil and water. Isn't it crazy how you guys can all, but it's because, I think it's because of what is expected of you 
growing up, right? That obviously that what's expected of the oldest versus, you know, the middle versus the youngest, that it's all very, very different. So let me ask you, like you've built this beautiful thing for yourself and in regards to helping yourself and helping Latinos and, and trying to help build the American dream. And I say this because I, I feel like I'm not the only one who feels it. So please tell me your opinion in regards to the American dream, because it feels like home ownership these days is so hard, not because being in a place is hard, but just obviously we live in Southern California and the housing price prices continue to soar. The amount of money people are making is not keeping up with inflation or to not to be able to rent sometimes, let alone buy. I want to ask, at what point did you start getting, like, what brought you into, like, I want to be a loan officer and I want to be able to help people navigate these types of questions? And how do you feel when you hear somebody like me, right? Mm-hmm. Or anybody else say, I can't do this. What are you talking? I can't afford it. I can't do anything. Everything's cash. Everything's whatever. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I mean, I really do want to eventually buy something. So these are the things I'm thinking too. So I know <laughs> other people are thinking them. I'm, I'm so glad that we're able to just be so blunt and, and real and be able to share experiences that are really tied to who we are at the core and what our fears are. I'm passionate about helping and I'm passionate about helping Latinos. And I've had along my own journey, I've had people that have um, helped me. And of course, it's always you know, paying it back. Like your sister said, you you all you guys want you want to still help people. You want to save the world. <laughs> now you're just doing it this way. Just, just translated into a different way. Exactly. Exactly. So I didn't plan to come into the, the mortgage industry or or be a loan officer. It's my previous job was at a media company and I was sure that I could go on my own and do better than where I was. So I left my job and I had my savings, a couple of 401k accounts. So and I started to work on my own media company because that's I thought I was that was my calling. And it didn't work out. And I, everybody wants you to work. Everybody loves you and everybody wants you to work as long as you're working for free. But if they have to pay you, then we have issues. So (laughs) Um, if that ain't the truth. (laughs) So I worked, I worked a lot, but I just wasn't getting paid. And I had already cleared one of my 401ks. This is probably three months in. I'm like, I need to go get a job. And I started applying that to places and I'm getting not many callbacks and now I'm challenged. And all of a sudden I get this call from New American Funding and not a company that I had applied. I just simply got a call. The recruiter tells me, hey, we're looking for somebody that has your background, Latina, communications, community public relations. We want to position our owner who's Latina in the Latino community. Would you come and interview? Sure. I had $356 in my bank account. <laughs> and I didn't have a home. I had finished a relationship, a five-year relationship. I had invested in a house that I left along with a relationship. So I was empty-handed with $356 in my account and one more 401k. That was, I think it was like 17000 And I go in an interview for this company. You know, the mortgage industry for myself as Latina was not attractive. It was the worst thing I could do. I had worked for community all my life. And we all know what happened in 2008, 2010. A lot of her people lost their homes. And with their homes, they lost their marriages. They lost life. Mm-hmm. So I sat down and I had this interview with the owner of the company, Patty Arbiello. And Patty is this ball of energy. Latina, her mom is from Sinaloa. Um, her dad is from Iowa. So it's a pretty nice blend. And she comes in and I was expecting what you think of when you think of a bank. I was expecting that like hostile environment, just that hospital looking place and completely the opposite, (laughs) right? Just super sterile. You're like, oh, 
that was not my experience. Um, she comes into the room and she sits on the chair. But you know how you can cross your legs in a chair and just kind of sit on your leg? That's exactly what she did. I was like, oh, this is my kind of girl. Somebody who's real, somebody who's not afraid to just be herself. And I asked her, why would I? She really liked me. And I asked her, why would I come and work for a mortgage company after what happened in 2008? And she says, well, I never did a loan, what we call a subprime loan. And I never did them because I couldn't give my nanny a loan knowing that she was going to lose that house in a few years. And that sold me. Because I, I knew that I was working with somebody that had a moral stand and had ethics in, a, in an industry that is so challenging. And then she saw me working and she insisted that I got my loan officer license. And I said, no, I'm a marketer. And she said, you need to go get it. So I did. And I did my first loan. She let me work, work basically originate loans while I was working for her. And... I closed my first transaction and I remember it's a roller coaster. It's an emotional roller coaster. It is on the top five experiences of the highest stress that you will go through in life paired with a divorce or a marriage. So it is hard. The thought of, of going through the finance process to get a home, it's a life-changing experience. So I went through this emotional roller coaster with my first family that I did a loan for. And when I told them that we were ready to close and that they were going to get their keys after many nights of not sleeping, <laughs> their daughter, who must have been around seven, she tells me, no, she tells her mom, mom, so now I can choose the color of my room. And that did it for me. At that moment, I fell in love with the career because it was everything that I had always wanted. It was a career where I could really help a family improve their life, their quality of life, and have a legacy for their next generation. And I can do it being able to sleep at night. And I was getting paid. So I'm like, this is the perfect marriage. I am married to this career. And, and I've done all that. I've helped many families. And it is so challenging when you, that same fear that you have and that same all those questions that you have where things seem impossible, it's normal to go through that because to pick up the phone and have that conversation is such a challenge. You don't want to hear no. We auto-disqualify ourselves. Oh, no, I can't do it because I don't have the credit score. I don't have the money. You don't even know what the credit score is needed yeah. or you don't know what the down payment is needed. And when I hear people saying, well... The houses are so expensive. Yes, they are expensive. But let me take you back to your first car. Do you remember what was your first car? Make and model, year? My first car, my first new car. No, your first car. Oh, my first car was a 1981 Honda Accord hatchback. It was silver with red interior. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It was a total terrible hoopty car. <laughs> <laughs> and... Tell me, what was your dream car? That's what you were able to afford, but what did no, you... Well, my parents bought me that car, and I should have... They told me, they asked me if I wanted a quince, a quinceañera, or if I wanted a car. Uh -huh. What I should have stipulated was, please spend at least half as much <laughs> on a car <laughs> as you would on a quinceañera, because I would have got a way better car. Uh-huh. But you had an idea of a car, right? You know what? what? I've never had it. I've always... Okay, I'm going to be very, very honest. I've never really had a dream car. I've always thought like, oh, this car was nice. I've always had a dream home. I've always had like mm -hmm. ideas of what I would want my home to have, uh -huh. but never a car. However, you wish you would have had a nicer car, right? Yes. Half of the quinceañera budget should have been... Half of the quinceañera budget. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. But that's exactly what I'm talking about. We have this idea of what your dream home should be, right? And tell me what it should be. I feel like it's evolved and I there's uh -huh. pieces now, right? One thing I absolutely love, 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 love are big porches, a big porch and a big like in the front or the back because I've always dreamt of, and I live in San Diego, so it's not like it rains very often or anything, <laughs> 
But I've always, I always have dreamt of having this beautiful furniture, like beautiful outdoor furniture and this big porch that's covered, right? That I could go out and, and read in when it's raining uh-huh. or have like, I grew up in the corner on a corner lot of a very busy intersection. And so when we were younger, my parents ended up converting the garage into a family room and then they had to build a carport. And my grandpa used to sit out there and I would sit out there, but I love, I love enjoying a neighborhood. I love enjoying the backyard. I love being able to spend, I I want definitely a place that is inside outside living. I mean, we, I live in San Diego for Christ's sakes, or I shouldn't say for Christ's sakes, for Jesus Louise's sakes. Sorry. (laughs) Um, You know, I always have wanted that indoor outdoor feel Mm -hmm. because I love being outside and I love having people over. I'm a very, I love hosting people. I've always tried to maintain my space as a space that people feel welcome and comfortable in. Mm-hmm. That's what I want to continue. When I'm in a home, I want, you know, whatever home I eventually buy or whatever, I want that. I don't want, I thought I wanted a condo for a long time, but when I see how much these HOAs are, I was like, hell no, might as well, like, it's ridiculous. I'm so have to get having this conversation. It's, <laughs> I mean, literally, it's, $600 a month for an HOA, like you could spend that towards a mortgage if you're going to spend that much money towards something that's larger and that you, and I love living and I live pretty much in downtown San Diego and I love it here, mm-hmm. but there's so many homes that don't have garages mm-hmm. and I don't like that. I don't like the fact that I would have to find street parking. If right. I'm buying a house. I want a parking spot. (laughs) (laughs) So you have very clear, and this is, this is good because of the following reasons. You have to make a list of what are your absolutes. This is what I need to have. And this is what I can live without. And also be realistic. And that's kind of the hardest thing when you have a dream, because we want to go and get that dream in the first time around. Oh, yeah. If I were to have a freaking dream, I would really be living in a mansion in La Jolla overlooking the water. There I know that's not going to happen. <laughs> there you go. So it's it's really having an understanding of what do you really need? And don't think about it as a dream, but think about it as an investment. You see, we go out and we purchase cars. And we never think of the fact that we just spent $40,000 that we're going to pay in five years. And that's lowballing it, right? But if I tell you, you're going to need $40,000 to buy a home, you're going to have a heart attack. And your immediate reaction is going to be, well, I'm never going to save that money. Yes, you are. If you really, really want to get this done and look at it as an investment, you will. So the concept of are houses expensive? Yes, they are. Absolutely. They will get more expensive. 2008 is not coming back. We're expecting to see a 30% increase in the next five years. So would you Uh, rather, and here we go, would you rather not have right now an investment that can give you a return of 30% in five years? Would that be out of the question? If you can make an investment right now, forget about the fact that it's a, a condo or a house. If you can make an investment right now, that will give you an ROI of 30% in the next five years, would you engage in it? Oh, absolutely. Okay. So you will absolutely engage in it. Now, if you need it to have $25,000 to begin that investment, would you do it? You spent $40,000 on a car in five years. I've not spent $40,000 on a car in five years. (laughs) Girl, I don't buy new cars anymore. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> I, have, I have a 2011 and I hate the idea of having to get rid of it. It's like, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. I'm just, yeah, I have, a, I have a 2016, I, you know, I have a Honda CRV. So, uh-huh. um, and I pay less than $400 a month for that after financing and everything's still under 25. So let's say that it was 20,000. Mm-hmm. Would you save another 5000 and put it in an investment that is going to give you 30% return in five years? Oh, yeah, of 
course. That's right. Yeah. So you see how the dynamic changes when you think of, oh my gosh, houses are so expensive. Oh, you know, how am I going to accomplish this dream? It's kind of a concept of how do you eat an elephant? You eat it a bite at a time, right? And I think that that's what makes us great in this industry. When you have somebody like you and I talking and we are the oldest and we've accomplish the impossible and we don't take no for an answer it's like you have a very different perspective of life and Mm -hmm. for me that's the that's the beauty of what I'm able to relate because I can hold your hand and show you what you can do through a very different lens I understand the fear I understand the stress but what you have coming to you is so much better and bigger than just thinking I'm never going to accomplish that Mm-hmm. And you're right, that house with a wraparound porch that you want, you may not be able to get it in the next 10 years. That doesn't mean that you're not going to be in your mid-50s and not sitting in that porch reading your book. You will, but you have to take this step and look at it as an investment. That's exactly what you're doing. Forget about the fact that you're accomplishing a dream. I think that for your parents buying a house, that would be a dream. So things or the concept of the American dream or accomplishing your dreams in that sense has shifted from generation to generation. Mm -hmm. For our parents, and and I'll speak in general terms, my mom is 50, no, my mom is 61. So for her, buying a house was really a dream. And she comes from Mexico where everybody owns their property. So this was a dream and how was she going to make it happen? We helped out and we made it happen for her. But that is accomplishing the dream for them. For myself, my dream is very different than what hers was. My American dream is very different than what my mother's was. Yeah. No, I think that's true. Where I think where people get I, I'm glad you said that. Like, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Right. If you if you want it, you figure it out. I think people, a lot of people's fear, first of all, the fact that I think there was a lot of hope that there would be a dip in the market again, but you're like, I've heard from multiple places. No, that's not <laughs> happening. Right. So I feel, I feel like people keep waiting. Like I'm, I'm just going to wait till it happens. Wait till how, well, it's, it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. So if you keep waiting, you're going to, you're going to be waiting in vain. But also I think People don't realize, I know that there's a ton of different programs, especially in California, first buyer hope programs, 3% down program. Like, where can people go to find out what programs are available that will make it feel like so they can feel like it's easier, right? Like they can say, oh my gosh, that I can handle, that I can do. Where do people even start to be able to find that? You know, I really would suggest that people have a conversation with a loan officer. It doesn't mean that they're going to go buy a house next week. It doesn't mean that they're going to have to make the commitment of of doing business with the loan officer. But it's about understanding where do you stand right now? And let's build that roadmap that is going to take you there. You can always Google the programs, but reality is you have to know If you fit in those boxes, I'll give you just in brief terms, FICO score, minimum FICO score, 600. Minimum down payment, you can find programs with 3% or 3.5% down. Your closing costs are going to be approximately 2.5% down. So if we can be a little bit more conservative, let's just say that you're going to need a total of 6% of whatever the purchase price is in your savings account. So that that gives you somewhere to start, right? If you're looking at a property that is, let's just say a condo at 400,000 times 6%, you're looking at 24,000 that you want to have in your savings. Now, what is your FICO score? Are there other programs that, that can work for you and provide you maybe down payment assistance? where it's a loan and may not be a grant, or maybe there are grants available through through your city or your county for first-time home buyers. But in order to find out that information, you need to know what your qualifications are. So how do people find a loan officer? And they a can. loan officer that is trustworthy, because I feel that like, <laughs> like, you know, you can find a loan officer, right, anytime. But how do you find a loan officer that you can trust? 
Honestly, I would do my research online. And the reason I say that is because Yelp doesn't lie, right? That's a pretty good source. So if you if you start searching for that loan officer, let's just say that you do a Google search in your area. You can always call me, of course. But if you do a Google search in, in your area and you look up that person, look up their reviews, look up the company that they work for. It's so important. A lot of the times, and I see it, I see it left and right. Somebody comes to me because they've already been through a loan officer and they were going to charge them $6,000 on just the, the fee of the loan officer. And it's like, how are you paying that kind of money for them, right? And then as we deconstruct the entire file, then you start finding other stuff and they had no idea that that was happening to them. So people know, like you know, when something doesn't sound right or when something sounds too good to be true, question it. Do your it probably research. is. Uh-huh. And do your research. Go online, check out their reviews um, and see if it's somebody that, what are others saying about them? Even the bad reviews, right? What, what are they really saying about this person? Do not go with the first one. Interview a couple of them. Accept your family referral, but understand that what your family is telling you of the process is going to be very different than what your experience will be. So just be proactive. Research, 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 make the call. Do not fear. Just take that fear, put it in a little bag and just tap into it every once in a while. But you need to put it away because if you keep it in front of you, it continues to control you and you will not move forward. Yeah, we fear what we don't know, right? And if we know it, then we, then I feel like you don't have to fear it. Then you can make an informed decision. That's the key. Make an informed decision. Whether home buying is for you or not, it's going to be an educated decision. You're going to have everything at your fingertips. You're going to be able to put it on the table and decide this is for me or no, this is not for me. Or, well, you know what? I do need a car. So I'm going to go spend $20,000 on the car. So saving those $20,000 for this is not going to happen in the next five years. But it's knowing that that gives you the power. And, and, and when do you grow? You're going to grow when you're in an uncomfortable position. Yeah. And that's what we're all looking for. We're looking to continue to grow. So get uncomfortable. Make the call. Now I'll just call you when I'm ready. <laughs> Be like, um, I'm uncomfortable, but I'll call it back. <laughs> I had this conversation with a friend yesterday. And she, she's a really good friend. And every time that we talk about you need to buy a house, she freaks out. And she will not like, she's like, well, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Let's talk about something else. I'm not ready. Okay. And yesterday I finally said, I'm going to run your credit right now. And we're going to get through this. And I'm going to hold your hand and we're going to get through this. And that's exactly what I did. She was sweating. I kid you not. She was sweating as I'm punching in her social security number and date of birth. We get the report. I share it with her and I tell her, this is what you're going to need to do. And she was in heaven. Like, it's just this emotional roller coaster. Yeah. I that- think that's the thing. Like, just know, just knowing what you need to do. So you're so right. Like, just whether you're in California, you have, then you can call Eva, right? <laughs> Are you licensed in more than one state? We can do loans um, for a nationwide company. So okay. So you can reach out to Eva or you can reach out to somebody else and and just find out where you stand right because at least you know because I feel like we create all of these different crazy versions in our head (laughs) right like they're gonna they're gonna punch in my number and throw me out the door they're gonna hang up on me whatever it is yes it's not true we don't do that no (laughs) we're gonna help you (laughs) so Eva if people do want to get in touch with you how do they do that they can call me or text me. My cell phone number is 323-528-4233. The first person to ever give out their phone number on the podcast. Oh, And, and this is not to date her, okay? <laughs> no. <laughs> she's beautiful and she's smart and she's successful, but this is not the wine and chisme and dates. Right. I mean, sometimes it is. <laughs> sometimes it is, but this one's not. <laughs> And we're going to talk numbers. So if you're going to call, make sure that you're ready to talk. Numbers. Oh, yeah. And if you are a guy who's going to call, you better have your numbers right. <laughs> <laughs> we will research everything. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
And then what is your social handles as well? Social media handles. That's a great question. I think you're going to have to edit this one. Let me tell you. Home Loan Genie on Instagram. Thank you so much. Yes. Yes. I have it right there. But I always like to give people the opportunity to share it themselves. (laughs) Emma, thank you so much. Like you've shared so much. And thank you for sharing like, you know, your history, but also sharing so much in regards to the fear that comes with, it's not even home ownership, which that I feel is probably another fear, right? Mm -hmm. But just the actual process to just get started. And I think that is paralyzing, right? We have um, analysis paralysis. We don't want to do anything because we're in the analyzing in our heads and we are like, no, 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 no. So mi gente, we got it, you know, we're in trying times, but you don't know what you don't know. And if you have even thought about buying a home, whether it's a single family home or a townhouse or a condo or whatever, you never know what is going to happen if you don't start the process. So at least know where you stand, right? Exactly. Know where you stand and go from there. And then go from there. Well, thank you so much, Eva. And until next time, mi gente. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wine and Chisme podcast. For more information on today's guest, please see the show notes for links to websites and social media channels. You can check out all things Wine and Chisme on our website, thewineandchismepodcast.com. There, you will find the names of wines I drink each episode, as well as additional information on me, the podcast, and you can even apply to be a guest straight from there. You can also find us on social media at The Wine and Chisme on Instagram and at The Wine and Chisme Podcast on Facebook. Remember, if you want to hear more Wine and Chisme, please subscribe, rate, and review. Five-star ratings are appreciated and those positive reviews are appreciated even more. Until next time, saludos.